0: This is a well-known passage, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I possess Hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Tom. We're
1: continuing a, ser- a series um, over this, uh, these weeks on the nature of personal transformation. And that little thing at the top of your service sheet is really a symbol of that, that personal transformation. And each of these messages is on one of our podcasts. And if you want to catch up with the previous ones, you'll find these red cards at the back of the church. And, and in that, you'll find how, how just to get the messages and how to, uh, to be able to catch up on those. When I started the series, I spoke about the idea in the Bible of repentance. And I said that um, that word is translated from the Greek word metanoia, which really means not you know, going from becoming a bad person to a good person, which is where we traditionally think of it. It really means to change your way of thinking. Metanoia, to change your way of thinking, as in going from Windows 7 you know, to Windows 10 having the operating system on which your mind is based, just changed. And, you know, in Paul's famous verse in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's really what we've been talking about, that idea. The realisation that we have to start our journey of transformation. I said the starting point of our journey of transformation is that point of peace. You have to arrive at that point of peace before you can really start your journey of transformation. We can't always be dealing with the circumstances of our lives that come our way. We have to be at peace with the way that life is and we can move on from there. And that enables us to approach life from the standpoint of love. And the definition we've been using of love is is to give without having any expectation of a return. To give without any expectation of return. And we can do that because we're at peace. And that opens us up to the true loving self that's within us. And we're changed by being in touch with that true self. That, that self deep within us that's the source of our joy and our happiness that idea that Thomas Merton had of, of moving from the false self, uh, which he characterized, I always love this, that Thomas Merton characterized the false self, the small, the ego mind, as having being that part of us which winds experiences around ourselves and covers ourselves with pleasure and glory like bandages in order to make ourselves perceptible to each other. And to the world, as if we were an invisible body that could only become visible when something covered its surfaces. And the idea that we therefore, we feel our emptiness and we try and cover our surfaces with pleasure and glory and experiences. And the idea of moving from there to Merton's other idea, which he says that in truth, God utters me like a word. So we're uttered like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word can never comprehend the voice that uttered it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, then I shall be full of God's actuality and find God everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him and therefore I shall find my true self. So that's the sort of journey that we've been talking about. And last week we looked at the idea in this journey we have to have patience, we have to wait patiently, that none of this happens quickly, and that we have to be prepared to wait patiently and allow that change to happen in us without becoming discouraged. Patience coming from the Latin word "patentia," meaning suffering, from the verb pati. We have to have be at peace with that suffering, not, not resign to it and not discouraged by it. And this week I want to talk about how we enable ourselves to be guided through that process. Hazrat Inyat Khan, in his book, The Heart of Sufism, talks about getting a balance. He speaks about getting a balance as we go through our lives. In brief, he says, the inner life consists of two things. The inner life consists of two things. Action with knowledge and repose with passivity of the mind. Action with knowledge and repose with passivity on the mind. And it's getting the balance between action with knowledge and repose with passivity in the, in the mind. You know, it's getting that right. And I always think, you know, it is a bit like the two halves of Jesus' ministry that we talked about last week. The first three years was an in, a time of intense activity, action with knowledge, um, you know, speaking, all the stuff that happened. And then right from the moment of Judas's kiss in Gethsemane, we arrived at a time, he arrived at a time of passivity right the way through to his death. He was taken right the way through into that moment. So there's the active and the passive. And Kahn says, by accomplishing these two contrary motions and by keeping balanced in these two directions, one comes to the fullness of life. Again, it's like the balance between our meditation practice and the active aspects of our lives. You know, the key question is, how do we find that balance? Where do we find the guidance to know when to act and when not to act? Well, obviously, you know, the easy answer, we work through our rational minds. We look out there and our minds tell us when to do things and when not to do things. And, you know, that's worked quite well for us. However, we have to remember that, you know, the purpose of the mind is to survive. The mind's purpose is survival. And therefore, it will not always enable us to do what's best for the whole. It doesn't have a holistic view on life, the mind, because its purpose is survival. Often, it will advise us to do what is best for its own survival. You know, a bit like Hal in 2001. Don't do that, Dave. You know, the whole idea that it doesn't want something done that is going to enable it you know it doesn't like the actual the good of the whole compared to the good of itself it's not something that it's it's fond of and so i think to find that deeper balance we have to you know we have to drop down as i was talking about earlier and we have to drop down into that place of connection in our hearts there is a deeper balance there and to some extent when we drop down into our hearts it represents our body mind you know, our emotions, our feelings, our memories, you know, that are held in our bodies over years. Because I think, you know, the theme today is, is connecting with the universal mind. And I think there are lots of different types of mind that we can be aware of. Not just what goes on in our brains. We do tend to think, when we talk about the word mind, we think, tend to think about what's going on in our brains. The old word mind comes from an English word uh, Gemint, which actually means memory or thought, and we are aware of the way that the mind works, you know, in terms of our rational minds. But I think there are other concepts of mind and memory that we have to be aware of. You know, I know a few lawyers out there, and you know, in legal terms, you have the idea of the controlling mind. That's where a business, in a business you find where the control of a particular action or event originated. In terms of a failure, you can trace that failure right back to the decision that created the conditions for that failure to take place. And the legal system can attach causality as a result of that, that idea of a controlling mind. And in our experience... As well as our, our rational minds, which we're familiar with, we do have that body mind. You know, the way that our, our body automatically remembers how to beat our hearts, how to remember to take a breath, you know, how to send white antibodies when there's an infection. You know, our mind, our body mind, remembers how to do things. And, We don't have to think about it, but the body-mind, the memory is in there and things go on unconsciously in our bodies. We don't think about it. It it keeps us alive. It keeps fighting infection. It creates the conditions for reproduction. You know, it's there as a body-mind. And it's the same with all plants and animals. Somehow a seed manages to remember how to germinate. Herds of elk. Manage to remember how to pass through their migratory routes. Birds remember how to fly to their winter and summer locations. And also the earth remembers how to keep itself going. It has, the earth I think has a planetary mind of which we're a part. And I think it's always good to remember that the planetary mind has been around a lot longer than we have and that the planet will always remember how to get to a point of being okay. You know, the planet will always remember how to get to a point of being okay, however much we decide to pollute it. The planet might have to get rid of us in order to survive, but over the millennia, that's okay. It's been here a lot longer than we have, and we just have to be aware of the fact that the planetary mind will sort itself out, whether or not we're, we're around to see it or not. And in the same way, I want to suggest you know, this idea that there is a universal mind, one that's probably 13.7 billion years old, or if it existed before the Big Bang, then even older than that. Or maybe that universal mind Maybe that universal mind actually contains time itself. And therefore that universal mind actually lives outside of what we think of as being time. Whatever the case, that universal mind is probably what, you know, we sometimes call divinity or consciousness or whatever it is that contains everything. I like that definition. Of consciousness, the definition says that consciousness is the faculty by which we know things. Consciousness is the faculty by which we know things. It's not the knowing itself, which tends to be dualistic, which is that I know that there is a white shirt over there. I know that there is a white shirt over there. That knowing is dualistic. There's an I and there's an out there. But there is something that contains that. And what I'm suggesting is that consciousness... That universal mind is that by which we, the faculty by which we know. And I'm suggesting that that faculty is contained in part or is a part of that universal mind. You could say this idea of the universal mind is actually, it's the greater self as opposed to the small self of our rational minds. But you have to include in that the vastness. Of all intelligence that goes up to make up the workings of the universe. The universal mind is the facility by which the universe remembers how to be. It is the facility at which the whole universe remembers how to be and it contains and informs all other minds. You know, there's a tendency here on earth to, to refer to it as God. And that's only because we're unwilling to admit the extent to which we don't understand the immense workings of the universal mind. So we try to bring it down to something we can understand, like an old man in the sky with a beard, or a slightly younger man that led a good life on earth and rose from the dead and now can save us from our sins, whatever you know, we like to personalise it as. So we're dealing with that concept of universal mind that contains all other minds, like a huge wheel that contains all other wheels within it. And the idea I'm suggesting here is that the true manifestation of each of our own personal transformations, the true manifestation of each of our own personal transformation, is where we're able to act and be guided by that universal mind. That is the true nature of complete transformation, is going from that small mind to where we're able to act on behalf of the universal mind, or on behalf of you know not just our rational minds, not just our, bond, our bodily minds, not just the planetary mind, but where we're in connection with it, the universal mind, the point where we get to, God utters me like a word, but if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody as part of that universe, I shall be full of God's actuality and find himself env- everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. That's the point. That is the point where we're operating as a part of the universal mind rather than anything else. It's what we're continually being called to do, whether we like it or not. All of us are being called to participate with that universal mind. Depending on how conscious we are, we're conscious of that call. I, I love that, that lovely quote from B. Griffiths, who was a Hindu Christian priest who went and set up an a, a, a ashram in India, at a place called Shantivaram, with, with Hindus. And he says that the goal of each religion is the same. The goal of each religion is the same. It is the absolute transcendent state, the one reality, the eternal truth which cannot be expressed and cannot be conceived. This is the goal not only of all religion but of all human existence and whether they like it or not, all men and women are continually attracted to that transcendent truth. The intellect in and beyond every, for- the rational mind, the intellect in and beyond every formulation which it seeks to express itself through thought The intellect is in search of that absolute. The intellect is made for that beingness, for that truth, for that reality. And the intellect cannot rest satisfied in any partial truth, in any construction of the human mind. It is always being carried beyond itself to that ultimate truth. And that ultimate truth is what we're talking about here, that universal mind To be guided by the universal mind is to be guided by the deepest gearing of all the wheels within the wheels that exist within the universe. It is the deepest gearing. And as with all low gears, they turn very slowly, but their effect is dynamic, which is why we have to have patience. At the higher gears, we pedal like man, we exert a lot of energy, and everything seems to be rushing along, at lower gears, there is less energy expended, but to a greater effect. Our aim is our, in our personal transformation is to move from the rational mind, from the body mind, from all other minds, to the deepest level of mind. And that's what Paul is talking about when he speaks about the renewing of your minds. So the big question really is, how do you do it? How do you move there? Well, if I had a definitive answer for that, I'd probably be making it up, or at very least I'd be on Oprah, but I know it would be very bad and wrong for me to go in that direction, so I'm not even tempted. (laughs) We cannot have a definitive answer because we, as these little minds, we, as these little minds, in the immensity in what we're talking about, can't really comprehend what it's about. Our little minds can't really comprehend what it's about. But what we can do is set a context for our connection with that mind. We can set a context for a connection with that mind. We can open ourselves to the possibility that we can operate at that deep level, even if we don't know how or why it works. We might not understand how it works, but we can set a context for operating at that deep level. And to do that, we have to picture ourselves as part of that mind in the sense that we are interconnected, that we are interconnected with all things and we are part of that mind. And that like a drop being part of an ocean, each of us is a drop of that universal mind, and therefore contains a part of that universal mind. We're like just a tiny bit of the outside of a balloon, you know, just a tiny bit. If that one bit is not connected, then the air just starts flowing out through the balloon. It's only when that connection, when there's a sealed connection that takes place, when we're part of that, that actually things start evolving and expanding. And there's a lovely quote, I just want to read you again from Hazrat Inyat Khan. He says, In that condition, that connecting to the universal mind, each person becomes, for the time, as a drop that is assimilated or submerged in its origin. It's that drop is 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 um, uh, that drop is assimilated or submerged in its origin, which is the universal mind. And being submerged for one moment means that all that belongs to the origin, the universal mind, is attracted by this drop because the origin is the essence of all. The drop has taken from its origin everything it has in life. It is newly charged and becomes illumined again. So by becoming that drop, you're suddenly connected with all that's within the universal mind and suddenly all the understanding, all the wisdom is within that one particular drop. And you can see, you can see echoes of this in Bible stories. You know, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. That is the idea that we have a likeness of God within us. That is the idea, that that, that sense that we are part of that universal mind. The idea of our very identity At the heart of who we are, our very identity at the heart of who we are is that universal mind, that ultimate I am. You know, I am in the Father, as Jesus said. You are in me, and I am in you. I am in the Father. I am in that universal mind. You are in me. You exist within me, and I exist within you, but we're connected by that. Or when Moses said, you know, go to the Israelites and tell them that I am has sent me to you, that I am at the center of of you, is that that universal mind. We're intimately connected to that universal mind. And our role in life is to figure out how to operate from that universal mind rather than, or perhaps as well as, anything smaller. And by the way, we do have, you know, what we do have is that image of ourselves guided by it at the core. That somehow all of this has meaning, that it's beyond that which we can see and feel and that if we're sensitive to it, we can move and have our being as part of that universal mind. That—that That is the concept, that we that we can actually have our being as a connected part of that universal mind. It is a state of being that is founded upon not knowing. Because the moment you start thinking it, you know, you've lost the connection. That connection is founded out of not knowing, of admitting we don't know where our connection is. As well as not knowing, we have to be able to give up insisting on our own way and be at peace with the way things are. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, as in that universal mind, so on earth. You know, it's all there if you can see it. And so we try, to, we try, we give up trying to know. We give up trying to get our own way. You know, we go to Eckhart's meditative stance of wanting for nothing, willing nothing, and knowing nothing. Wanting for nothing. There's nothing to want, nothing to, nothing to will, and nothing to know. And that state puts us in contact with the universal mind because it gets us out of the way. Our, our rational minds are out of the way, and suddenly we're connected. We have to get out of the way so that this mind can come through. And if it does come through, we probably don't even know it's happening. We just hope and trust in the lovingness of our acting, which is why for this to happen in our lives, we have, our lives have to become an act of love. Our lives have to become an act of love, giving with no expectation of return, because We couldn't imagine the return if we tried. It's on too big a level. We have to give, to act, to love, without knowing why or how, but being open to the fact that in trusting that we're part of that universal mind, it can operate through our love, because love is the language of the universe. Which is why love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It it does not boast. It is not proud it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres because love never fails and these three remain, faith, hope and love but the greatest of these is love and by giving ourselves in that loving way, We make ourselves accessible to the universal mind, which is fundamentally loving. It gives the universe without an expectation of return. It gives us our lives without an expectation of return. And in allowing that love to flow through us, we become agents of that universal mind. It works through our love because that mind is love and giving of no expectation. You know, When I was a child, when I was unaware of this, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reason like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see only a reflection in a mirror. We we cannot understand it. Then, in total connection with that universal mind, we see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. I shall become fully known. All we can do is open ourselves to it. And to do that, we have to see the limitation of our own mind. We have to see the existence of that body mind, that planetary mind and open ourselves to the possibility of a universal mind and to see that this is not some impossible dream but it connects all that is and that is a part of all that is and therefore we as a part of all that is, we are significant. But if you think, you know, you're only a tiny part of it and that you're like a speck of dust Compared to the huge universe, and how can you possibly have an impact on the universe? You know, how can you have an impact on something that's 93 billion light years in diameter? Then you have to remember that in spiritual terms, everything is equal. There is no such thing as a relation like that. Everything is equal, nothing is unequal, everything has equal value. Which is why our value here at the Chapel of Inclusivity is so key. It is a value, and everything has equal value. Because in spiritual terms, a tree has equal value to the planet. How can you say a tree is less important? Or you and Jesus are the same thing. You have equal value. This person and that person, this size and that size, this atom and a mountain. One is not better than the other. All things in the universe have equal value which is why you are equal and have equal value to everything else that's in the universe. Look at the tiny particles that create a nuclear explosion. Look at the tiny particles that create a nuclear explosion. There is no reason why our tiny selves could not have the same effect. Can you see that? Lao Tzu, I quoted last week's message, last page by the way, so don't panic. Those of you who are thinking, when's it going to end? It never ends. I just want to let you know. It never ends. You just, it's, we're here forever. This is eternity. <laughs> Lock the doors. Set to phase one. Okay. Lao Tzu said, this is what Lao Tzu says. The master views the parts with compassion. The individual bits, because she understands the whole. Her constant practice is humility. She doesn't glitter like a jewel, but lets herself be shaped by the Tao, as rugged as a common stone. Stone, jewel, parts, whole, equal value. Nothing is better than anything else, which is why you are of equal value to everything else in the universe, and that's why your life has immense meaning. It says... In the Tao number 40, return is the movement of the Tao. Yielding is the way of the Tao. All things are born of being. Being is born of non-being. And so to connect with that universal mind, to be guided by it, we have to connect with our non-being and therefore bear our true being. We are the solution to all the problems in the world if we did but know it. Let's pray. So from our hearts, we just hold our planet. I think of all those suffering around the planet, those who are not at a point of peace, those displaced by weather, by war, by oppression. We offer ourselves the peace in our hearts as part of the solution to that. Pray for those in prison, homeless in hospital, hungry, people without. And we pray that we and our hearts may make a contribution towards that. We pray for our valley, all those working at the moment, all those visiting. Particularly pray for those in our community suffering at the moment. Pray for the family of the Basalt High School junior Tyler Ribich, who died recently. Pray for the Franklin family after the loss of Shelley's stepfather. Pray for the family of Borg-Killed Haran, Eva Lemley's mother, family of Gene Yates, Susan Wampler's father, who died recently at the age of 97. And we also think of Cody Davis, Dan and Judy Leffler, Helen Gottschie, Taylor Patterson, Cindy Vanderveer, and Mimi Schlumberger. We offer our hearts and our peace into the world to these people in hope that we may be able to make a difference. Amen.